Welcome to It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland. Featuring stimulating in-depth interviews with special guests from all areas of the arts. And now, here's your host for It's a Question of Balance, Ruth Copland. Welcome to the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative, exploring whether we have more in common than divides us through thought-provoking conversations. For the topic hour, I go out and about and talk to people on the street about a wide variety of different subjects that affect us all, both locally and globally. And for this, the Arts Hour, I interview local, national and international guests from all areas of the arts. And the show combines a debate topic with an arts interview because I feel discussion and creativity are two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. This week, my guest is the highly creative and inspiring Esther Wojcicki, known as the godmother of Silicon Valley and Wodge to her many friends and admirers. Esther Wojcicki is a globally renowned educator, journalist, author and thought leader. She's famous for founding the media arts program at Palo Alto High School and teaching a journalism class that has changed the lives of thousands of students, many of whom have gone on to have an outsized influence of their own. She has created the Moonshots in Education movement to help shift the culture of education to one that empowers both students and teachers. She is a leader in blended learning and the integration of technology into education. She is the mother of a super family raising three happy daughters who have each made their own mark on the world as the CEO of YouTube, the founder and CEO of 23andMe and a top medical researcher. And she's inspired Silicon Valley legends such as Steve Jobs. In addition, Esther serves as vice chair of Creative Commons and has been intimately involved with Google and Google Edu since its inception, where she was one of the leaders in setting up the Google Teacher Academy and remains a guiding force. She has two honorary doctorate degrees from Palo Alto University and Rhode Island School of Design and was California Teacher of the Year in 2002. Esther believes strongly in the relationship between the school and home as a mother, she and her husband Stan, a professor and former chair of the physics department at Stanford, fostered creativity and critical thinking in their daughters. Esther's new book draws on her considerable experience and success in both her personal life and career and is called How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. This is a book all parents should read and anyone who cares about how we can help children find success on all levels and on their own terms. I spoke to Esther at the famed Media Arts Centre at Palo Alto High School where she took a break from her teaching schedule to talk to me. You are a true maverick in the education arena. Your positive influence over the decades on methods of teaching has been revolutionary, but when you started out, there was considerable resistance to changing the teaching model. What were the main things you wanted to change about teaching, both for the students and teachers? Well, I wanted to make and have an environment where the students were actually happy to be there. Mm. They wanted to be there. And I wanted to make 
the teaching environment for teachers be more collegial because in the when I first started teaching, the teachers were considered um, almost like policemen in the classroom. Mm. You had to maintain control. You had to um, constantly be grading students. You were in charge of everything, and the students were in charge of following your directions. That was the main mm. thing they did. Right. And I saw that as a, as a block to learning. Mm. Kids didn't really want to learn in an environment where they didn't, first of all, know why they were learning. And the only reason they knew why they were learning is that they didn't want to get a bad grade. That mm. was it. Right. So yeah. I wanted to make learning more meaningful. And so that was a battle. <laughs> you know, it sounds like it should just be obvious, but yes. um, it's hard to change the way things have been done for the last, you know, century. Yes, yeah. And as well as wanting to change the experience for students, you were also aware that for teachers it wasn't a great kind of setup either. It was, it was actually really bad for students because, like, for example, my first class in journalism... I had a book that I used. Um, it was a well-known uh, book for high school journalism. And um, the students were assigned to read a chapter a week, and then they were assigned the questions at the end of the chapter. And then once a week, they took a test. And, you know, I was like, um, am I, what am I teaching here? You know, are they learning how to collaborate? Are they learning how to write better? Are they learning how to communicate more effectively? I didn't see that. Yeah. So then I... Um, decided to take a big risk and throw away the textbook. And um, it was it was a big risk. I mean, yeah. I didn't really physically throw it away. No. I just did not use it anymore. Right, yeah. And what was interesting is that the administration didn't even notice. So, mm-hmm. um, and but the students did. Yeah. <laughs> they, because my new textbook became the actual newspaper. I would pick up newspapers every day. And then we would go over the newspaper, and they loved that. Mm. Because if you're teaching journalism, why not yeah. read what you're teaching too? Why not read, have a model that you're understanding yes. um, yeah. and that you know about? So that's what I did, and it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like the more traditional approach is pretty uninspiring for the teacher too. So a, a typical teacher has five classes a day, and most of the time, you have at least three classes that are the same. Mm. So you are supposed to repeat yourself three times at least. Right. Some teachers do it four times. This is at high school level. This is at the yeah. high school level. Yeah. And you can imagine how boring that yes. can be. Yeah. And so I never liked doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't like, oh, my God, I'm so bored with myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I always had every class was different right. for me. Um, but I also like to have a different types of classes. So I would have speech class or, um, you know, English 10 or English 11 so that they weren't all the same mm. because I, I couldn't stand it. No. But a lot of teachers like it because then they have to do only one lesson plan. Right. And I preferred to work a little harder and not be totally bored. Right, yeah, yeah, I could see that. And so, but my new method of giving students more control and teachers acting more as a facilitator or coach gives teachers a lot more time. They don't have to, it's much more difficult to stand up there and lecture for 50 minutes Mm. than it is to facilitate for 50 minutes. Right. Just think about that. Yeah. 
So I think one of the things I, I read to do with you is it's um, empowerment versus engagement. So, you know, there's obviously quite familiar trying to engage one's students or whatever, but what you're trying to do is actually engage them through empowering them to, to be very invested in their own education. Right. And, I mean, what I'm trying to do is prepare them for the real world. Mm. And in the real world, there's a lot of paths that you can't predict. So I want them to be empowered. I want them to be able to think critically, communicate effectively, so that they can navigate whatever is to come mm. and that they won't need me. No, I'm not going to college with you. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, that they can navigate whatever and they'll feel confident. So if they have a setback of some kind, because there's setbacks every day. Yes. Yeah. If they have a setback, they're not going to get overly stressed about it, but they'll be able to navigate it. Yes. So in my class, since I'm teaching journalism and journalism is basically a very stressful subject <laughs> because none of the stories turn out exactly like you plan. Right. Right. Yeah. It's they're yeah. like based on human nature and it's a little unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> so they have to make these decisions all the time. So they're practicing these skills mm. all the time. Mm. And that skill transfers to other areas of their life. Mm. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very useful. useful. Yeah. It's like Montessori, for high school students. Right, yeah. No, I could see how that would be very, very useful, especially, I think, with the transition, particularly in America, between high school and college. It, it seems like a chasm. I, I feel like stu most students are, are not prepared at all for that. So it sounds like your approach is very helpful for that. My approach, yes. They can do it on their own. Yeah. And um, there is a problem. Many high school students are not prepared yeah. for college, and the difference is high school is much more protective and college you're more on your own. And so there's an epidemic of parents who move to the college town their child is in right. to make sure that their child has all the, quote, support that they're supposed to get. Right. Yeah. And um, Julie Litcott-Haynes wrote about this in her book, How to Raise an Adult. She was the dean of admissions at Stanford, and she saw this happening yes. a lot. Yeah. She decided to address it in her book. Yeah. And, you know, whilst that might seem extreme on the parents' part, I think in some ways it might be necessary because of the, the uh, deficiencies of the way they're educated in high school because the other alternative to that is mental health problems. A lot of students going to college suffer with depression and anxiety because they don't know how to cope. So, that's, that's over 60%. Yeah, which is it's just terrible, isn't it? Right. Yeah. You've done so much, uh, founded the renowned Moonshot organization to support teachers around the world. You've created a journalism program at Palo Alto regarded as the best in the country, founded the renowned Media Center, where we are right now, and mentored many students, um, many of whom have gone on to have an outsized influence of their own, like actor James Franco or businessman Todd Sassad. Sacerdotti. Sacerdotti. And you've brought up three wonderful daughters with your husband, Stan. I'm wondering what aspects of your background growing up may have helped to give you the self-belief and creative dynamism to be a maverick, to challenge the system and, and carve your own path so decisively and effectively. Well, um, there was an incident in my childhood that made me think twice about believing 
the authorities that were mm. giving me information. Um, yeah, the story is in my book, mm. and it's about it's the story of what happened to my brother, who was mm. 18 months old, and who my mother he uh, was on the kitchen floor playing with a variety of things, and I guess he came across a bottle of aspirin, and he managed to open it mm. and uh, eat them. Wow. And uh, so my mother, being a, an immigrant from Russia, she didn't quite know what to do. We didn't have uh, health care like mm. most people that are immigrants. And so she called the doctor, and the doctor gave her the wrong advice oh. and told her to put him to bed and see how he was in a few hours. And, of course, in a few hours he was violently ill. And then we went from hospital to hospital. And the reason we went to multiple hospitals because... We didn't have proof of payment. Mm. And, you know, the hospital won't take you without proof of payment. So now today they have a rule where you have to take. Right. But back in those days they didn't. So Mm. what it did to me as a 10-year-old child Mm. is made me and made me distrust people in authority. Right. And I didn't ever think about it that way. You know, I didn't come to this conscious conclusion, oh, I'm now going to... It was just... It somehow just infiltrated my thinking process yes and so then i became very uh suspicious of all kinds of advice that was given to Mm. me and i wanted to make sure and check it out i spent a lot of time in libraries reading and then i was thrilled when you know google came along because (laughs) now i can check everything online but then also you have to be careful online Mm. you want to make sure the authority is correct yes so i also teach that to my students you know Mm. how to discern whether it's correct or whether it's hyperbole yes. and it's an important skill yeah. for people to have today yes. but that's where the maverick comes from because right. yeah. if I don't think that there's any sense to what somebody's saying I am polite about it but I won't follow those instructions no no I mean you it's hard to imagine medical professionals turning away an 18 month old child isn't it isn't just it because of money it's just awful yeah, yeah. it's yeah. um i don't think they were medical professionals you know you come to, you the, come to in, the office the intake and, yeah. area of the hospital and yeah. those are not med- doctors they're no. other um but even so i mean just through common humanity you would think yeah, but yeah well, let me but i can you. see how that would really have a very strong effect on a on a young on a child. Ten, yes. ten year old yeah so yeah. that's was he okay or he not? died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. So wow. yeah, that's um, yeah, that's pretty devastating for everybody. Yeah, and especially my mother, who actually never really recovered. I no. think when you lose a child, you never recover. Yes. And um, so that just made me into somebody that was. I wanted to check. To make sure yeah. that what uh, the off yeah. advice I was given was logical, and you don't want to rely on other people so much, you know, without assessing it yourself. Yeah. And so I think that's what happened to me when I was first teaching. The system just didn't seem to work. Yeah. I never said it to me myself on a conscious level that you know, um, that I was gonna disobey. Yeah. It was more like I'm trying to make this class work. Why yeah. am I? Why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a teacher trying to do something that's yeah. helping people. It's interesting, that experience, because it kind of could have gone either way. You could have felt very disempowered and then 
very underconfident all, all your life. Do you know what I mean? A, a sort of more of a victim. It, it's interesting that you took, you know, the path that you did from it, fortunately, um, that, okay, I'm, I'm going to take the power into my own hands and, and make sure that things are how they seem. Yeah, it's interesting. That's right. I could have just seen myself as just a victim. Yeah. That would have been a bad route. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Esther Wojcicki, globally renowned educator, journalist, thought leader, and author of the new book, How to Raise Successful People. We're going to a break now, but I'll be back with more conversation after these messages. the music from It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland. Have you ever wondered what the full songs sound like? Now you can find out by listening to the new EP, It's a Question of Balance Music, available from iTunes, Amazon, and it's a question of balance.com. It's a question of balance music. Download individual tracks or the whole EP from iTunes, Amazon, or it's a question of balance.com. Buongiorno, we are Luca and Giovanni from Bellagio. We bring to Pleasure Point Santa Cruz the first authentic Italian gelato and the traditional panini. Using family recipes from the old world, we offer the real test of Italy. We use organic and locally sourced ingredients to create a healthy and delicious treat that will put a smile on your face. Gourmet panini, the real Italian gelato, fresh juices and more, just a block from the ocean. Come and visit us. You will feel like you are in Italia. Visit Bellagio at 743 41st Avenue in Santa Cruz. That's 743 41st Avenue. And follow Bellagio Santa Cruz on Instagram.
Welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland. Remember, you can check out the show website. It's a question of balance.com. All my past shows are there with uh, previous uh, arts guests. We've had some wonderful people on. And also all my on the street topic discussions. We've uh, also covered some uh, very uh, stimulating, I would say, topics. So do go there and check that out too. It's a question of balance.com. Well, you're listening to my conversation at Palo Alto High School with Esther Wojcicki legendary teacher, journalist, thought leader and author of the new book How to Raise Successful People known as the godmother of Silicon Valley inspiring legends like Steve Jobs. Let's hear some more of our conversation. Your life's passion is education. I'm wondering what first sparked your desire to become a teacher? Well, I wanted... So I came from a very poor background, as I Mm. mentioned, And I, at that same age of 10, I realized that the only way out of poverty was through education. Mm. Somehow that, that came to me then. Right. And I realized that all the people that seemed to have what I wanted Mm. were educated. Right. And so after that, I became a really good student. Mm. And, um, I don't, I mean, it wasn't, again, you know, children don't, make a decision to be a good student or bad student. It was just I was now really motivated. Had a goal. Yeah. I had a goal. I wanted to know. Yeah. And I wanted to know about life. Mm. And I saw education as a way for my, me to learn about all different aspects of life yeah. so I could navigate that and protect myself and protect my family and my brother and so forth. I have one other brother. Right. And um, so that was that was my goal. And, and in high school... I worked so hard. Um, they used to have what was called double sessions in the Los Angeles mm. schools. Mm. So people think the schools are bad now. Just try what it was like back in the 1950s <laughs> and 60s. They didn't have enough school buildings for all the children. Oh. So they half the student body would start at 7 in the morning and end at 11.30, and the other half would come at 12 to 4. Oh, gosh. Because they just didn't have enough room. Hmm. So I made the request to stay the whole day. day. (laughs) That's right. And nobody else made that request, I think. And so they said, well, she's a little crazy, so we'll let her do it. Right. And, you know, nobody complained. Yeah. So I, I benefited because I was able to take a lot of additional classes. Yeah. And, um... That helped me a lot, and I managed to get, I got into, I applied to one school, University of California at Berkeley, Mm. and that was it. I got in. It never occurred to me to apply to more than one school, because my parents had never gone to college. I had no guidance. I didn't know quite what I was doing. Yeah. And, I mean, I was lucky that I filled out whatever applications I did properly, and and then I got accepted. Yeah. I was like, thank God. Yeah. I don't know where I would be otherwise. No, no. Wow, that's amazing your work in education is embedded in the arts and media what attracted you to this area well media i think first of all media is the this is the century of media Mm. and what attracted me to media early on was i realized that you could protect the underdog Mm. and so that's what i Mm. it again ties to yeah to my brother. Yes, yeah. And the fact that I was able to 
pass information on to other people to help protect them, right. help give them the information to make their life better. Yes. So oh, I was very yeah. interested in, in media, and I still am. And then the arts, the arts are the create, creative part. Mm. And journalism, media, you get to use your artistic sense. Yes. When you are laying out pages or when you are mm. designing um, magazines or any kind of graphic design, it's all artistic. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. And One of the themes of my show is uh, uh, combining the intellectual with the creative. And I think for some reason we've driven this line between, you know, the two in in the way we think about it and also in education as well and so I think you're right journalism does bring together those you know you have to have a very analytical critical mind uh, but also you do have to if you want to be a good writer um, and get good stories and know what people want be creative too. You have to be creative yeah and then also my students do layout and design using the Adobe products Adobe Mm. InDesign and Photoshop and Illustrator those are really creative products right they yeah they basically enhance creativity. Yes, yeah. So you've created this amazing student journalism program which serves hundreds of students each semester. Recent times have seen journalism and, and the media under attack. What are your thoughts on the role of the fourth estate going forward in America and, and the relevance, particularly now, perhaps, of teaching journalism? So the fourth estate is an extremely important part of a democracy, You cannot have a democracy without a press because you don't have the information to make intelligent decisions. Right. And so that's one of the problems that we have today is people are worried about the information they're getting as being fake. So what I make sure and teach is how to discern fake news. What is fake news? Yeah. Are you looking at the source of the information? Are you looking at the um, people that they interviewed? Are, Are all their resources... Um, or sources, I should say, are they credible people? Are are they anonymous sources? I tend not to believe a lot of stories with anonymous sources. Right, yes. Because if they don't want to go online with their name and say something, then I am concerned about believing it. Yes. So it's important to teach all students, actually the whole population, about what is a reliable news source. Yeah. And um, there's so many options for news these days. You have to be really, yeah. really careful. And there are some major news companies, uh, sources, yeah. that uh, don't get the information right. I don't know whether I yeah. feel comfortable saying which one. No. But yeah. I just think you need to check and make sure yes. that yeah. your news sources are correct. And most of the major newspapers like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, San Jose Mercury, all those, they're pretty reliable. Still operating on the traditional journalism, which is checking your sources, have at least two independent sources, all of those kind of things. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you don't have to be as concerned about that. But if you find some information online from some source that you never heard of, you probably should check and see who that is or what it, where it's coming from, because yeah. the Russians have, I mean, huge yes. buildings full of these groups, trolls, trolls yeah. that are creating fake news and disrupting our democracy on purpose. Yes, I know. And it's, yeah. you know, 
they don't have to shed any blood at all, and they're making us miserable. I know. So yeah. we need yeah. to be careful. And I think it was uh, Jonathan Swift who said that a lie only need be believed for an hour to have done its work. And there's some truth in that, I think. You know, it's just, it's very hard to rope back in some of this disinformation. Right. So it's very hard, once it's out there, to recant it and to yeah. get people to realize that that is fake. Yeah. And we have a lot of fake news that's happened here in the United States and that's pitted the two sides, left and right, against each other. And a lot of that information is fake, and yeah. they, they don't even know. No. So, yeah. I mean, this all was yeah. one country, and we still are one country. Yes. And we yeah. should, you know, yeah. get together and value each other's opinions. Absolutely, I agree. And um, So your journalism program, I think, is amazingly important more than ever and I know you believe strongly in the relationship between school and home and you have a new book your second book coming out in May called how to raise successful people simple lessons for radical results I'm wondering how do you define a successful person I think a successful person is one that feels happy within themselves Mm. um, has good relationships with their people they work with, with their family, is able to communicate effectively because without being able to communicate effectively, you're going to have a lot of problems because yes, yeah. every day there's a need to communicate. Yes. And you can't expect things to just disappear and get better on their own. You have to talk to people. You have to show empathy and compassion. We all have the need to be accepted, respected, and treated with kindness, mm. and that's part of that acronym that's in my book. Mm. Um, respect. Yes. You know, respect for your family members, respect for your colleagues, respect for students. And one of the main reasons teachers leave teaching is lack of respect. Right. And yes. yeah. we have a major problem with people going into teaching. They leave, yeah. the majority of people leave after five years, 50%. Mm. Hmm. So originally they start out wanting to change the world. They're so excited about passionate, you know, working with students. They're passionate. And then by year five, they've just like, there must be a better way to earn money. I can't deal with this. And they all cite lack of respect, not lack of salary. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Esther Wojcicki, globally renowned educator, journalist, thought leader, and author of the new book, How to Raise Successful People. I'm talking to Esther at Palo Alto High School, where she founded the Media Arts Programme, which has inspired thousands. So what inspired you to write How to Raise Successful People through you know, your experiences with education? Um, The main reason I wrote it was because I had a lot of people coming to visit the program. Mm. And they were all asking me what I was doing in the program. And the other question was... Because your students are so successful. Because my students are so successful. And then the other was, what did you do to your daughters? How did they all get to be so successful? And Tell I mean, us a bit about your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's, so my oldest daughter is Susan, and she's the CEO of YouTube. Mm. My second daughter is Janet, and she is a professor of pediatrics in the University of California, San Francisco. And my third daughter is Anne, 
and she's the CEO and founder of 23andMe. And, uh, and they're all happy as and well. And they're all happy. <laughs> they're happy with their lives. They feel like they're doing things to help the world. Meaningful, yeah. Meaningful things. It's, it's not easy work. I mean, Anne had to, you know, deal with the FDA and make sure that they understood what tests she was giving and why she was doing it. So it was, a, it was pretty stressful. Yeah. But, you know, FDA approved all the tests now, so everything is working pretty well. Mm. And then Susan, of course, is as head of YouTube. I mean, that's a pretty controversial situation right now. Yes. But her goal is to really listen to all the groups and give everybody a voice, but a controlled situation where, you know, there aren't um, videos out there that are offensive. In right. any way, yes. it's it's hard That's to a be. Hard job. She's yes. got a tough yeah. job, but yeah. she's she cares a lot about the world. Yes, so people are seeing what you're doing in your work life, in your personal life, and thinking, "How did you do that?" So the book is helping people to to empower their children, I guess, because there's a there's a bit of a um, epidemic of helicoptering, isn't there? And I, I think it's very easy to fall into that. As That's a parent right. Myself, yeah. Well, so we see the yeah. end result of the helicoptering epidemic in this scandal with the yes. colleges. Yes. So yeah. these are helicopter parents who decided that the best way to get their kids into college was to cheat. And yeah. um, such a horrible message to your children that you don't think that they're good enough or whatever they, however they are, is not how they should be, isn't it? Basically? That's right. It's a terrible yeah. message to the children. Yeah. And it's very sad that. They did that, and I think a lot of these parents are upset with themselves yeah. for having done that. Yeah, um, and it's a kind of top-down pressure, though, isn't it? I think there's somehow out there, there's this sense of if you don't get into this college, your life will be over, and the only way to get there. So it's kind of disengaging a bit, isn't it, from from all of that sort of story almost that's been created. It's right. It is. It is very disengaging. Uh, it's very hard for. Um, I mean, it's it's a very, it's a difficult situation for students to think that their parents didn't believe in them enough. It's a difficult situation for colleges to feel realize they were duped, and it's a difficult situation for parents to realize that they didn't have enough faith in their kids yes, to yeah. have undertaken this yeah. kind of a strategy. Yeah. So I mean, we what happens is parents think there's just a very narrow road to success, yeah. and if they if the child falls off that narrow path, mm. they won't be successful. Yeah. But that is not true. No. There are many paths to success, yeah. and creativity is the key to happiness. Being yeah. able to and respecting yourself, not just having people respect you, but mm. When you are respected by someone else, by your parents, by your teachers, yeah. then you respect yourself. Yeah. You trust yourself. You feel good about yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you have somebody that does not trust you, then it sort of shakes you up a little bit yourself. It's like, am I really like that? Yeah, yeah. And you don't want, yeah. you don't want that to happen. I think also, um, I have a quote on my fridge. I'm not sure where it came from, but it said, failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of success. It's true. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on a kind of healthy failure in inverted commas even, because I don't even think we should call it failure, really. 
Well, so I call it iteration. You just keep oh, trying until you yeah. get it, right? Yeah, yeah. So this whole journalism program is based on iteration. Mm. You write a paper, or you the, my English classes were the same way. You write a paper, it's not right, it's not well well written, there's some problems. All they get on their paper is edits, corrections, mm. red marks. No grade. No grade. No grade. The only time you get a grade is when your paper reaches an A or B level. Mm. And then, because everybody makes these mistakes. Yeah. And if you think that the New York Times or Wall Street Journal is written with one t- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you are <laughs> mistaken. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> revises over and over and over again. Yes. So yeah. why do you think you have to do it perfectly the first time? Right, yeah. Stop. Although you, know? you even know how to. I mean, you're That's, learning, aren't you? Right. Yes. Everybody yeah. does it. You know, yeah. repeatedly over and yeah. over. So, um, in learning this method for journalism or for writing, yeah, a lot of people transfer that to other things they're doing in mm. life. Yes, yeah. So, if you can't write it first, the write the first time. Gee, maybe you know, in other classes you can't do it right the first time either. So, give yourself a break. Yes, and yeah. allow yourself to make some of these mistakes and learn. Yeah, because learning is all based. On yeah. making those mistakes. Yeah. That's how you learn. But of course, this is probably where your book comes in because a lot of students, a lot of that pressure that they're under is either explicitly or implicitly coming from their parents, yes, isn't it? it? It is. So the parents, the parents, first of all, they feel bad when their student doesn't, their child doesn't do well. Mm. And there's also competition mm. between the parents. And so, um, you know, no parent wants to say, oh, you know, my child can't get into college or was rejected everywhere or, you know, my child is not going to a good school. So their ego is also tied up. Yes. But what they need to remember is that child, it's their life. Yes, exactly. And they maybe don't want to go to the school you told them you want them to go to. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they do not want to, yeah. you know, be a doctor or a lawyer or at whatever. Yeah. Maybe they want to be an artist, yeah. you know, or maybe they want to go into a field you never even heard of because there's so many professions out there now that nobody even heard of five years ago. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we need to just support our kids and give them and trust them. Yes. Trust them to navigate the world in yeah. a way that makes sense for them. Yeah. And also I think, you know, people flower at different times in in their life. You know, it's a lot to expect for someone to kind of peak, you know, at 18, you know, to therefore be able to take advantage of whatever opportunities they can get then. You know, it's sort of um I mean, life hopefully for most of us is you know, a long, good time. It's a journey. It's a journey, yes. You and know. so yeah. that's, it's really important for parents to realize that, mm. but especially parents of boys, mm. because boys learn differently than girls. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. we need to stop over-medicating our boys so that they sit there like zombies exactly, and yeah. do everything you tell them to do. That yeah. is not what we want them to do. Yeah. And I have been in high school teaching for so long I can tell you that boys they come into their own they mature between 15 and 17 all of a sudden 
all those assignments that were at the bottom of their backpack, <laughs> they yeah. turn them in instead yeah. of leaving them in the bottom. Right. And yeah. they become conscientious and they get organized yeah. and yeah. they care about school. Yeah. There's something that happens. Yeah. And usually, um, well, frequently, they don't do well in ninth and 10th grade, but then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they do well in 11th and 12th. Right, yeah. And so I wish the colleges would just recognize that you shouldn't average all those grades together, 9, no. 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Maybe take a look at their senior year. Yeah. We don't do that in England, in Britain, and I, it's something I, I have a, I'm really against, you know, because not only does it aggregate all those grades over that period of time, but it also aggregates different subjects, and, and very few people excel at all areas. And yet, if you don't in the American system, then you're going to have a grade point average, which, you know, uh, isn't good enough to get wherever you need to go, you know. Um, right. So, I, yeah, I do think there's a lot of hoops that people are having to try and jump through. And as well as gender differences, there's different kinds of minds. I mean, 20% of people have dyslexia, you know, which is not an affliction. It's a different way of using your brain. And so, you know, your way of empowering students, your your way of teaching allows, I think, people also to excel in their particular ways of, of learning, I would think. Right. So it, it not only helps people learn in different ways, it also creates communities of students in the school that are supportive of each other. And there was just one thing I was going to look up here that mm. my students were, are just doing right now, which I thought was um, perfect to tell you about. So um, there's one girl that is running for editor, mm. and she basically said in her presentation to her peers, I will set you up for success. Oh. I am the leader that wants you to be successful, I'll cheer you on. But that's the culture of the classroom. Yes. It's collaborative. We're all one big family. Yeah. yeah. We're working together on this. Sort of lift each other up. Lift each other up. Yeah. And that only comes when the people at the top, the teachers, project that kind of a feeling on the Model it. Model it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Esther Wojcicki, globally renowned educator, journalist, thought leader, author of the new book, How to Raise Successful People, and the godmother of Silicon Valley. Join me for more conversation after these messages. Hi, I'm Casey, and I'm the second-generation owner of Bookshop Santa Cruz. We pride ourselves on being Santa Cruz's community bookstore. We feature an extensive selection of new and used books, children's books and toys, gifts, cards, magazines, and games. Our knowledgeable booksellers can help you find just the right book or gift. 
We hope you can join us for our author events each week featuring best-selling authors and books of local interest. And if you can't get downtown, our website has over 3.2 million titles which ship directly to your home. We even have experts on site to help you publish your own book or family history. Come visit us downtown or at our website, bookshopsantacruz.com. Bookshop Santa Cruz has been an independent bookseller for over half a century in the community we love. Visit Bookshop Santa Cruz downtown. We love our customers and the books that make it all possible. Bookshop Santa Cruz, online and in downtown Santa Cruz. Can you imagine living without stress, anxiety, or fear? And can you imagine a life filled with harmony and inner peace? Is that even possible? The Ananda Yoga and Meditation Center in Scotts Valley offers simple tools to help you become more effective at work and more centered in the face of life's challenges. At Ananda, we offer yoga classes for everybody, inspiring workshops, devotional chanting, and Sunday services based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Our teachers and therapists are highly trained professionals who work together to inspire a healthier you. And your first Ananda Yoga class is always free. Visit us at anandascottsvalley.org or call 338-YOGA. That's anandascottsvalley.org or 338-YOGA. Welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Esther Wojcicki, who's a globally renowned educator, journalist, thought leader, and the author of the new book, How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. She's also known as the godmother of Silicon Valley. And we heard from Bookshop Santa Cruz in the break there, so that would be an excellent place to get Esther's book if you are in this area. So uh, do check it out when you're next there if you're in the Santa Cruz area. But of course, um, the book is available from all good book outlets, both online and um, in reality. So you will be able to get it there from May 6th. Well, I've been talking to Esther at Palo Alto High School, where she founded the Media Arts Program, which has inspired so many thousands of students. Let's hear the last part of our conversation. So with your book, who are you hoping will read the book? You know, who would benefit from reading the book? Well, number one are parents, because a lot of this happens at the home level. Mm. Number two are teachers, administrators. We need to give teachers an opportunity to try out different things in their classes without being penalized. Mm. Yeah. And um, so when you are not teaching directly to the test, that's okay. You can teach kids skills that computers will never have, that tests can't test, yeah. like empathy and compassion 
Yes. How do you yeah. test for that? Yeah. Everybody wants an employee that has empathy and compassion, kindness, collaborates well. Yeah. What multiple choice test do you know that tests for that? Well, you can't. <laughs> can you? you? Can't. No, no. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's very important. So kids have to f- experience that in school. My philosophy, by the way, getting schools to change is not easy, as you know. Yes. Because we've been trying for a long time. Yeah. Is to just try it for 20% of the time in school. So 80% mm. of the time you can okay. still lecture, have your traditional tests and so forth, but 20% of the time give students an opportunity to be in control of their mm. learning yeah. and work on projects that they care about tied to the curriculum in some way. Yes. So it can be science or math or history or civics or media or whatever they want yeah. to do or can be gardening or I don't know, whatever yeah. they want. Yeah. Um, but they need to have some agency. Yes. No one likes to be told what to do 100% of the time. No, no, absolutely. Your school is in an area which um, is fairly affluent and, you know, Silicon Valley with, with all the startups and, and success of all these big companies. Do you think that this is, that we need to def- redefine what success means as, as a society? Uh, It strikes me, particularly in America, that it's very, very much about financial success or power. And obviously, for a lot of people, they have vocations. You know, they're more interested in in creativity or in caring professions. And, you know, those, unfortunately, just like teaching, aren't very respected because they're not ways to generate a lot of money. So I'm just wondering whether you feel also there's a, a question society needs to ask about what do we really think success is? So I think a lot of people mistake success and happiness for consumer product right. consumption. Yes. Yeah. So the more consumer products or the higher the cost of those products, people somehow think, oh, my God, I'm going to be happier. You know, if I have a... Um, $100,000 car versus a $20,000 car. Yeah. I think that is uh, unfortunately uh, incorrect. Mm. And you the know, status, I suppose, the, as we kind of spoke about so, earlier. So status. Yeah. Why do people want $100,000 cars, Maseratis or whatever? Number one reason, respect. Yes. Yeah. That's what they want. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're all respecting people who have more money we need to rethink that. Yes. Yeah. Because what's the purpose of a car for getting from point A to point B? Yes. Yeah. And um, and also perhaps if they went through a program like yours where from an early age they felt respected and empowered, then your desire to need to be respected by other people becomes less in that less, sense. Right. Eh? Because you believe in yourself, don't you? That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's really important. I mean, my car, I just realized, is 12 years old. (laughs) I like my car. You know, it works really well. Okay, it's a little on the... I mean, it looks good, too, you know. I take it and have it washed every now and then. Yeah. So... um, I mean, I like cars. I don't want to diss cars. I mean, I, I, I like cars a lot and sports cars and things like that but I think you have to look at the reason of why you know and if it's about the intrinsic value of that thing 
that's different to what we're talking about is sort of status and also linking it to success, you know, and, and, and money being the only way that you can get that kind of um, respect. respect. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. not to say that, you know, it is okay if people like cars and want to have really yeah. expensive cars. I'm just saying that that is not the key to happiness. No. Unless, for, yeah. for example, you're, you know, a car collector or for some reason that yeah. really makes you happy. Yeah. But most people use their cars for transportation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over your career, both personally and through Moonshots, you, you've influenced so many people and continue to do so. And there's obviously the ripple effect of all those that they will in turn influence positively. When you think of the future, what do you hope your legacy will be? I, w I would hope that more students in schools all over the world, not just in America, will have this opportunity to work collaboratively mm. and be empowered and feel good about themselves. Yeah. Because I think many of the problems in society come from groups of people who basically feel bad about themselves. And yeah. in order to feel better, they have what the Germans call, it's this word, schadenfreude, mm. which is they're happier when people are suffering. Mm. And I think it's interesting that they have this word in German um, and that there is no word for you being happy when other people are happy. Oh, interesting. I would yeah. like to invent that word. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great aspiration and I, I hope it happens because I think it's a wonderful program. And thank you so much for talking to me. It's been lovely. That's great to talk to you. Thank you for coming and asking these questions. <laughs> You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland. And uh, if you just joined us right at the end of the show and you've been listening, uh, my special guest this week is Esther Wojcicki, a globally renowned educator, journalist, thought leader, author of the new book, How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. And that book is out um, from May sixth onwards um really really interesting book i really recommend it um definitely for parents but also um for anyone who cares about how we can help children find success on all levels and also on their own terms which um is vital we've got into a era of helicoptering our children i think uh, it's very tempting and uh, obviously the way forward, if you uh, believe Esther and all her results, is to empower our young people instead. Thanks very much for listening. I look forward to you joining me again next time. <laughs>